Well, hey, Heritage! I want to welcome all of you, whether here at Rock Island, tuning in from our family in Bettendorf, or online, or one of our brothers at Aquani Center campus. These gathering moments each week are important, and I'm thrilled that you're here. We're starting a conversation today that we're simply calling Worth It, because we all have asked the question, is it worth it? And each day we decide what is or is not worth it. What's worth our time, what's worth our attention, our resources. We make decisions about jobs and relationships and financial investments and personal or professional pursuits based on how we answer that question. And we're willing to sacrifice time, energy, talent, resources, sleep for what we consider to be worth it. But how do we know if it is or not? And we could look at just the level of difficulty associated with any investment. We could say if it's, if it's too difficult, it's not worth it. But then there's the reality, that old adage, that nothing worth it ever comes easy. So I don't know that that helps us very much. We can look at the gain associated with it, but what kind of gain is it actually? We look at reward, we look at recognition. I think we can get some clarity around asking those questions, but it doesn't really resolve the fundamental question for me of, is it really worth it? And I think that's a question we've all asked ourselves at least once in our lives. So how do we know? You know, most of the time, people will simply result to a cost-benefit analysis. The idea that, does the gain exceed the cost? Let me give you some simple examples of this. If, if we were able to, right now, to just enjoy this delicious piece of chocolate cake. <laughs> oh boy, that looks good. <laughs> We'd get some real pleasure out of that one. But then, we actually realize, when we think about our fitness plan or our diet, that it, the reality that at some point it's going to show up when we stand on the scale down the road. <laughs> Maybe we think it's not really worth it. Is, it. is it worth it? Maybe if we're out driving and you see a speed limit sign, and you're thinking how close you're going to stay to it, above or below, and you're thinking you're going to go above, and what's really worth it, and how far can you go, and it still be worth it, and, and no matter even if you do get stopped or not, what's worth it? Even put it in a different context, like going out on a day like Black Friday where you end up with a black eye, you ask yourself, is it really worth it? It's a simple cost-benefit analysis. You have to tell you, there was a point where I spent $18 trying to acquire a $2 stuffed animal for my niece at a state fair. Put me in a place to wonder, was it really worth it? Because I'm pretty sure I could have bought her a better stuffed animal for that same amount of money or less. It's the cost-benefit analysis that we engage in to know, like, is it really worth it? But, but here, here's the deal, there's a problem with that. Because God doesn't look at things that matter that way. He doesn't, he doesn't use cost-benefit analysis. He looks at inherent worth and value. Yet we make big and small decisions each day based on cost-benefit. We decide where to invest time, talent, and treasure based on a level of worth that we assign the thing that we're looking at. But how do we know if it is or not? See, most of the time, I think we pursue things that we believe are worth it. Whether they are or not, we think they are. That's why we're willing to risk in it. But when, when they're not worth it, it actually causes complication in our personal lives, even relationships or just practically in life. When we don't manage what's worth it not well, it creates problems. 
between us and others. And we're not the only ones to experience this. In fact, I want to show you a, an illustration, an example of two people who wrestled with this concept in a 30-second Doritos commercial. Take a look. can be worth it, and sometimes they're just not. I have to tell you, I have to confess this, that just recently in one of these snowy condition days, I, I was out driving down the road, and there was a person in front of me who was going well below the speed limit, too slow for the, the conditions, even those snowy conditions, and it was setting me up to be late for my appointment, and I really wanted to come up closer and closer behind them to encourage them to go faster, but I, I really kind of held back. Until I got to the first moment where there was a two-lane reality, and I, I cooked out around the right, and I, I just blew right by him and gave him a dirty look as I went by. No, I didn't give the dirty look. But I did go by just to kind of show you can go faster on the road at this point, only to have them pull up next to me at the very next red light. <laughs> Worth it or not. <laughs> you know, the, the, the guy in the Doritos commercial... Like him, we can sometimes try to decide if something is worth it or not based on how we feel, what we desire, even what we crave. We, we, we consider is the pain worth the gain. And I'm pretty sure that a snake bite is not worth a Dorito. <laughs> and a few seconds, it's not worth the embarrassment in a red light. But when we think it is, it feels good. When we realize it's not, we feel bad. And Snakebite Boy and, and myself experience both the good feeling and the bad feeling in a matter of moments. But a life worth living is about more than how it feels. It's about more than cost-benefit analysis. It's about more than how it turns out. When we're trying to figure out if it's worth it or not, we can struggle to know if it is. Cost-benefit analysis is often just subjective and it's random and it can, can leave us with feeling nothing more than an emotional justification for the decision we made which we're not really sure if it was worth it or not. In some circumstances, we can hope that it's worth it beforehand and we can even afterward have a fleeting moment of feeling that it was. But just like the guy with the snake bite on his face, he realized it wasn't. But what if we could know if it's worth it or not beforehand? What if we could even assess it along the way and know that there were other bags available in our life choices? See, in order for us to embrace that, we need to understand the reality that what we value more than what we experience determines what's worth it. What we value, what we prioritize, what we pursue, more than what the circumstances are, more than the conditions, more than the dynamic, that determines what's worth it or not. What we pursue more than what we experience, it's what we value. It's not about what we experience. What, what we think is worth it or not 
is really defined and based on what we value and expressed and revealed in what we pursue. And we all have things that, that matter to us, things that ultimately influence how we live. And every day we place value on those things that lead us to make choices about what we pursue and prioritize, what we protect, even what we invest in. And those choices then reveal some things about who we are, but that's not all they do. They actually determine what's possible and impossible in life. What we value determines what's possible and impossible in life, and it determines the condition and location and direction of our hearts. See, Jesus once said something in what's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's just a, a teaching that's captured in Matthew chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7. And, and he says something that's recorded in Matthew chapter 6 that's relevant for the conversation. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... For where you place value, what you prioritize, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus is giving us some context and even some criteria for how we are to determine what's worth it and what's not worth it. Because what we value more than what we experience determines what's worth it. Let's look at an example of this, though. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to the Gospel of Mark, second book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, the scriptures will be on the screen, and they're also in the note guide. But we're going to hang in this scripture for the rest of our time together. You can put your thumb in there, your note guide in there. Mark chapter 10. And we're actually stepping into the storyline of Jesus at a point where he is nearing the end of his public ministry. He is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And he's teaching, and he's healing, and, and ultimately in this season, he is preparing his disciples to know what's worth it. But as they're on their way to Jerusalem, a man interrupts them. And that's where we're picking up the story. I'm going to read here out of my scriptures. You can follow on the screen or in your own Bible or, or the note guide. But we're starting with verse 17 of Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that was a bit of an unexpected title. Because it expressed complete goodness. It expressed sinlessness. And it implied deity. Because at this time, uh, that no one considered anybody but God good. Only God was good. And Jesus understood that. And everybody standing around would have understood that. And Jesus is about to acknowledge that reality. Because this wasn't a title that was normally given to rabbis in Jesus' day. But this man chose to use it. So in verse 18, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. So there it is. He calls it out. But it's important to understand that Jesus was not saying that in denying his deity. I mean, he was fully God and he was fully man. He was not asking the question to deny his deity. He's actually asking the question to position the man to understand more fully and to go deeper into the identity of Jesus as God. Because the answer to his question was rooted in that understanding. Now, I don't know if there was an awkward pause or how long that awkward pause was amidst that moment of asking why, but Jesus doesn't leave a whole lot of time there. He goes on in verse 19, and he says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus quotes the commandments that come from what is often called the second table. See, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first three of those commandments are vertically oriented. 
4 through 10 are more horizontally oriented, and Jesus chooses to speak from the horizontally oriented commands, which I think connects directly to understanding the value of others in our pursuit and our relationship with God. They're connected. And the man responds in in verse 20. He says, teacher, and notice he dropped the good part. either because of the ooh and the ah and the awkwardness of the group or he didn't want to have to answer another question from Jesus, but he drops teacher and he says, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. He's not claiming perfection here. He's actually speaking out of the way these commandments were commonly interpreted and understood. But when God gives instructions, when he gives us things to step in obedience in, it's not just about the action, it's actually connected more deeply to the heart. It's heart and action. In these commands, the reality is we can have a heart full of adultery, even if we never commit adultery. We can have a heart full of murder, even if we never take someone's life. We can have a heart full of theft, if we, even if we don't steal anything. When God lays out his directives and how we're supposed to behave, it's not just the function and the practicality of what we do, it's connected to our heart and who we are. And this particular conversation is connecting not just action, but heart. It even goes back to that Sermon on the Mount moment where Jesus was teaching. In that sermon, he actually unpacks how, the, how the important the, the heart is and how the, how the heart's status and condition is significant in any of the things God calls us to. It's heart and action. And in this particular case, that's still true. It's true in this conversation. And, and again, the heart follows our treasure Our treasure is what we value, and what we value determines what we consider to be worth it. So let's take a look. Verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Uh, That's a really cool moment. He loved him, even in the complexity that he sat in. He said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions. That's a heart issue. And give your money to the poor. That's a heart issue. And you will have treasure in heaven, a heart issue, because our heart follows our treasure. Then come follow me, which is another heart issue. See, what we value, our, our heart, more than what we experience in life, determines what's worth it. So here's the thing. This man thought that eternal life was something that, he, that could be earned and not something that was to be received. He thought it came from accomplishment rather than out of relationship. So instead of coming to Jesus as the one and asking him to be his savior, he comes to Jesus to help him understand how to be his own savior. Instead of coming to Jesus to understand how to be saved and ask Jesus to save him, he comes to Jesus to get the explanation for how to save himself. He's upside down in his understanding of how life, eternal life comes about. And that perspective that he could save himself, that he was the one who would set himself up, positions him to do cost-benefit analysis that leads him to decide it's not worth it. Look what happens in verse 22. He says, at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, we don't know what happened to this man beyond this moment. But at least in this particular moment, he decides it wasn't worth it. Based on his perspective, based on what he valued, he determined that it wasn't worth it, and he walks away sad. Successful in the eyes of the world, but still lacking something in the eyes of Jesus. 
Now, when we actually get to understand Jesus, when we, when we sit before him and we understand who he is and we understand our need for him as Savior and we understand the power he wants to bring into our life, well, then we see he is worth it. We see he is worth the cost and the sacrifice, the difficulty, the opportunity. He's worth it. And we consider everything else not. We consider everything else loss compared to experiencing him. When we understand who he is, because when we understand who he is, then we know that he is the one who is worth it all. And we pursue him as the win in life. And that's important to understand because whatever we identify as the win in life defines what's worth it in our perspective. In fact, the win defines the worth. Next fill in your note guide. What we define as the win defines the worth. It's the idea that that the priority, the value, the goal that we set in life, that's the thing that defines the win. What we value more than what we experience defines what's worth it. And we'll know what we value by what we pursue, by what we define success as and how we define the win. And get this, this dude, this guy, he, he walked away because his definition of a win was not ultimately eternal life. It was not the thing he was asking about. His definition of a win was this life, which is why he struggled with Jesus' answer, which is why he walked away sad because the value was not totally towards the eternal. It was more in the temporal so he was, he was still yet unsatisfied in it. It's the, that's the very reason he even came to Jesus in the first place. He, he knew something was missing. And he, like many other people in life, end up living lesser lives because they chase lesser things. He, like many people, miss the reality that they're made for more. Made to pursue more, value more, invest in, in things that are, that are bigger and greater than what we actually invest in or value. And we end up dissatisfied. It's like the theologian A.W. Tozer once said, here's what he said. He said, man is bored because he is too big to be happy with that which sin is giving him. We're created for something more. We get bored with the stuff that we chase, those lesser things. God has made him too great for that stuff. His potential is too mighty for the stuff that the world gives us. We get bored. This man was struggling with what he had. He had all this stuff, but he was still missing something. And and this rich young man, like many men and women today, live unhappy, unfulfilled lives because they're chasing things that are not worth it. Like $2 stuffed animals and a few seconds at a red light. How we define a win defines what we think is worth it. And, And it's not the cost, it's not even the condition. There's something greater that we're positioned to pursue. Out of curiosity, how many of you watched the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics? Raise your hands, Bettendorf, you get up too. Okay, I love that moment. I love the convergence of nations into that space. And oh my goodness, to see North and South Korea come together, walk out together, super cool moment, super cool. But if you step back for a moment and think about each of the individual athletes represented there, because they have spent hours on the ice, they have spent hours in the gym, significant amounts of money for a shot at a medal. Each individual athlete invests time, talent, and treasure for a moment, for a chance. Easily decades of time or, or six figures in resources invested towards something that may not bring a return, may not get a medal, may not even get an endorsement deal. Which then can raise the question, is it worth it? But again, we in our humanity, we define, what we define as the win sets what we consider is worth it. 
The problem is God sets other values and priorities and he created us for more than the things of this life. He created us for greater purpose and Jesus is the one who wants to define what's worth it in our life because he has greater purpose for you and I. Greater things to invest in. So let's just go back to this moment with Jesus because he's about to unpack something more in the conversation that we're having here. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, because here's the deal, people thought at this time that if you had resources, you had possessions and had wealth, that that was an expression of God's blessing and favor and therefore some level of higher sanctification and salvation. They had it kind of twisted and messed up a little bit. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the, the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a number of things that we can unpack out of this, but I want to make sure to highlight that what Jesus was saying here was not, a, not about possessions. It was more about priorities. The issue was in priorities, not simply having possessions. Because fundamentally, priorities determine more than possessions. What we place value on, what we pursue, what we say is worth it actually determines more than what we possess in our hands. What we prioritize is determines more than what we possess. And it was not the riches of this man, but his heart that was the issue. Because our heart follows what we treasure. It follows what we value. And what we prioritize ultimately then has our heart. So what we value, what we consider to be treasure, it can actually complicate life and complicate our ability where we actually become satisfied with the things of this life instead of living and longing for the things of the next life. The, the, the very life that the rich young man asked about in the first place. See, one of the things to understand about our heart is that it was not created to lead, but created to follow. And because it follows, wherever our treasure is, whatever our treasure is, that's where our heart will be as well. It draws our heart. It pulls us toward that stuff. This conversation with this man, and even in our own lives, is not about having stuff. It's about our stuff having us, having our heart. And how we handle and how we treat, how we steward, even how we manage resources in our life reveals our priorities and reveals the condition and location of our heart. And temporal affluence, the stuff that we can possess, whether we have a lot of it or we feel like we have very little of it, temporal affluence will always compete with eternal significance because it tries to pull our heart from what is truly most important and what is truly worth it. And that was the issue for the rich young man. His, his priorities, what he valued more than what he possessed. And that shaped what he saw was worth it or not. But you understand a, a nuance in this. This guy came to Jesus. He knelt before Jesus. He asked Jesus a sincere question because he thought it was worth it. He must have heard enough about Jesus, seen enough about Jesus, that he thought it was worth coming. But once Jesus responds and lays out the next level of cost and the next level of sacrifice and what it would mean to embrace the fullness of the life he was seeking, he reverted to cost-benefit analysis and he decided it wasn't worth it. And we can sit here today and we can read the scripture and go, that dude was a fool, he missed it. But quite honestly, you and I, we go to God in crisis. 
And we go before Jesus with real need. And we cry out to him and we ask him honest questions. And when he speaks to us, when he reveals by his spirit or by his word, here's what you need to do. Here's the cost. Here's what you need to release in forgiveness. Here's what you need to do to experience healing. Here's what you need to do to set aside the things of this world, to embrace the things of the next world. We step back into cost-benefit analysis and we say, ah, I don't think so. And then we end up in a place unsatisfied and often blame God when in reality it was us choosing a priority and a value that led us to choose something to be worth it that really wasn't worth it. How we manage our possessions reveals our priorities. It's about priorities more than the possession. We've all heard it said that uh, to whom much is given, much is required, right? Well, the truth is we can be rich in more things than just money. We can be rich in relationships. We can be rich in opportunity, education, authority. We can be rich in even influence. And, and the people of the day when this conversation happened with the rich young men, again, they viewed uh, richness as blessing and only something that could be good. But the reality is any of those riches, relationship, opportunity, education, money, when not prioritized properly, will get in the way. And it'll have our heart. In fact, in the very next part of this passage, we catch a glimpse of how being relationally rich can even distract us if we don't understand what's really worth it. Take a look with me. Jump back in into verse 26. The disciples were astounded. And then who in the world can be saved, they, said, they asked. And then Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. So as we said early on in the very beginning of our conversation, what we value tells us about us, but also determines what's possible and impossible in our life. And that's coming back around right here in the words of Jesus. Verse 28, then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and, and, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news for my priorities, for my values, for my sake and for the good news, will receive now and in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Woohoo! That's awesome. That's great. Along with persecution. Oh no. <laughs> what just happened? Like we went from really great stuff to not so great stuff. Listen. What's worth it is not based on condition. It is not based on journey. It is not based on cost. It is based on what he values. His sake and his good news. His life, his death, his resurrection. That's what makes everything else worth it. They are not worth it in and of themselves. They are worth it as they are submitted and connected to living for his purpose. And what we do, and, in the, and then he goes on to say, in, in the world to come, that person will have what? Come on, have what? Eternal life. The very thing the rich young man asked about in the beginning. Have eternal life. Look, worth is linked to stewardship. Worth is connected to stewardship. Worth is multiplied in stewardship. If we were to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, about verse 26, we would see that when God created us, he created humanity, he did so where we are image bearers, with, with his image in us. 
He created us to rule over and steward creation. It's a wonderful, really cool thing. And there's several realities out of that, but there are two realities that are relevant for us as we begin the Worth It conversation. The first reality is simply that Jesus is the one who defines who we are when we allow him. And we each possess inherent worth as image bearers. You and I each possess inherent worth and value as image bearers. In fact, turn to somebody next to you and just fist bump them and say, you're worth it. Turn to them. Don't, you don't have to know who they are. Bettendorf, get in on this. Kiwani, turn say, you are worth it. You don't have to know them. It's a reality. You are worth it. As an image bearer, you have inherent value and worth. It doesn't matter where you have been, who you are. It doesn't matter how well you have kept the law. God loves you. He desires relationship with you. And that comes through Jesus. By following Jesus. When we're willing to set aside the things of this world, release the possessions, and embrace his values and follow him, we can have life. Life eternal. Life to the full. Because we bear his image, we have inherent value. If you've never stepped into relationship with God through Jesus, then the fullness of who you were created to be has not yet been understood in your heart or mind. You need Jesus to experience the fullness of life. And I encourage you, if you've not made that decision, yet you think about making that decision today, where you can receive Jesus, have relationship with God. He can, he can wash away all the stuff we once thought was worth it, that really wasn't worth it, and give us new life as new creatures and creations in Him. On the back of the note guide are the steps to that in a prayer. And I encourage you to, to sincerely reflect on where you stand in relationship with God because you are an image bearer of the king already. You are worth it, but the fullness of that will not be realized apart from Jesus. Now here's the second thing. As image bearers, our inherent worth is multiplied in our stewardship. Our, our inherent worth is multiplied in our stewardship. We need to be careful not to let what we have distract us from who we're supposed to be. That's what happened to the rich young man. When we allow the stuff that we possess to distract us, it ends up changing who we are. Because what ultimately distracts us will eventually define us. That happened in the rich young man's life. He was distracted by his possessions. It positioned him for a very different eternity. Now, I want to be really clear. What we do in this life matters, but it is not the source of salvation. Salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone, and he is worth it. He gives us life. But as we step into that life and as we live under his authority, what we do actually matters. It has a ripple in this life. Our worth is linked to our stewardship. That, that worth that is inherent is multiplied in our stewardship. So what? What do we do with this conversation? Let's move this to application for today. See, I think sometimes we read the story of the rich young man and we often exclude ourselves from it, don't feel like we can relate to it because we don't consider ourselves to be rich. But the reality is, I mean, aside from the fact that if we make $12,000 a year, we're in the top 15% of global wealth. If we make $18,000 a year or more, we're in the top 5% of global wealth. I mean, aside from that simple reality, what we experience in this life, we experience more luxuries and comforts than this rich young man ever did. And we're not just rich with resources, we're rich with education and opportunity and influence and authority. There's other levels of wealth and, and, and the worth that we have is multiplied in how we steward all of that. And regardless of what we have or don't have, whether you think you have a lot or you think you have little, 
it's important to understand that how we live now, how we live now as the next villain determines how we live next. How we live today actually matters. It matters in the next life. The rich young man struggled with this concept because his heart was distracted by his possessions and he chose his comfort. He chose what he had versus who he was supposed to be, who he could become. He thought it was worth it, but it wasn't. And in the end, it had eternal implications. His values were inverted. In fact, Jesus ends this whole dialogue and interaction by declaring a reality connected directly to that. Take a look at what he says. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. We are to live now for what is next. He is worth it. How we invest our time, talent, treasure matters. And how we live now determines how we live next. And we need to know what Jesus sees as worth it. Because it's not Facebook likes and it's not the number of followers on social media. It's, it's not even professional success. It's in what we do with what we have. It's the stewardship of opportunity and time and talent and treasure. As image bearers, how we live now determines how we live next. So my encouragement for you is to live now for next. In the values that God holds and the priorities he holds and the things he calls you to live now for next. Because regardless of who you are, where you have been, or what you've done, there are three things that are essential to understand. There are actually three things that are, are foundational for the rest of our worth it conversation, and they're the last three fill-ins in the note guide. The first is simply this, that Jesus is worth it. Listen, my friends, Jesus is worth it. He's worth the hardship. He's worth the persecution. He's worth the sacrifice for his sake and his good news. He is worth our time, talent, and treasure. He is worth us coming before him and kneeling before him and asking him the hard questions, but being willing to receive what he directs us to do, the sacrifice, to be forfeiting, be willing to forfeit the things that we hold and possess in life so that we can follow him with no obstructions, so that our heart doesn't follow that treasure, but follows treasure in heaven. Jesus is worth it as we offer our heart to him our lives to him for his sake and his good news. Jesus is worth it. But he also declares a reality in how he lived, and that is that others are worth it. Others are worth it. The people around you, the people in your life, at work, at home, in your neighborhood, others are worth it. And how we invest our time and talent and treasure matters for us and for others. Others are worth it. The rich young man had an opportunity to bless others and in return to receive a blessing himself. But he chose that, he chose that it was not worth it. He, he embraced the idea that it was not worth it and he walked away sad. But Jesus is worth it, others are worth it. And this last one may be the hardest one for you to embrace, but the reality is that you are worth it. You and I are worth it. You and I are worth Jesus' sacrifice. We are image bearers of the King of Kings. And he says, you are worth it. You are who God says you are, my friends. And you are worth it. Regardless of what the world says or where your heart has been and whatever treasure it's been chasing to this point, he says, you are worth it. He says, your heart is his and you belong to him. And he longs for you to come back. But the only way to do that is understanding that Jesus is worth it. And as we live that out, we understand who, that we're worth it in relationship to him. And then we understand how that impacts those around us. 
Jesus is worth it, others are worth it, and you are worth it. He says that. And I want and I encourage you to literally look for ways to understand those realities. In fact, I want to encourage you to find time this day, this week, to get before Jesus, to kneel before him and let him speak into your life. Ask the hard question. Let him speak into your life about what is worth it and what is not worth it. Let him speak his priorities and his values. Let him pour his power into your life to live out obediently and faithfully what he calls you to. Don't revert to the cost-benefit analysis. Understand that he is worth it and you are worth it. In fact, I encourage you when you, when you begin to embrace the reality of, of those three things being worth it, even pull out your phone and take a selfie where you can just declare that you're worth it and put it on social media. I encourage you, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, get it out there. When you do it, Hashtag it worth it. Make sure you tag Heritage QC in it so that we know it's out there because we want to capture those things, the realities of us declaring what's worth it in this life. And we want to use those in the rest of our journey in our Worth It series. We'll share some of those along the way. Even today when you head out in the lobbies, you're going to find the opportunity to grab a big frame that will allow you to take a really cool picture where you put your, your spouse in that picture, your kids in that picture, the things that you know are worth it because you have embraced the values and priorities of God. And you understand that Jesus is worth it. If, if you're not somebody who's into social media, that's okay. Email it to us. <laughs> if you don't do email, that's okay. Just tell the people around you what's worth it. Tell the people around you what's worth it in their lives in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Inviting them to more. Let me leave you with this. This is something that Jesus says. This is what he says is worth it. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now one of the things I realize, at least at that point that we know the rich young man, he's not a friend of Jesus because he didn't do what he was encouraged to do. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Eternal fruit. That's worth it. That's worth it. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to lean into deeper conversation so that we can understand that Jesus is worth it, others are worth it, and you are worth it. We, individually, are worth it. So that we can not only know it, but embrace it and pursue it. So what I want to do now is just invite us to step into a moment of prayer. And maybe this will begin your conversation of kneeling before Jesus and asking him to speak into your life of what is worth it and not. And position you not to embrace the things of this life, but to live now in this life for the life yet to come the eternal reality of what it means to walk and follow Jesus. So I invite you in that beginning of that conversation, as I say amen, you can keep talking with Jesus. We're going to step back into worship through song, but I invite you to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in, in the complexity of life, where there are things that are worth it and things that are not worth it, that you call us to embrace your values, your priorities, that through Jesus we have relationship with you, and we can live now in this life in a way that matters in the next. We can actually be a people who understand what's worth it even before it happens because we're living according to your principles, the, the principles within your word and your Holy Spirit speaking to us. And so, Father, I pray that as my brothers and sisters spend some time before you, they kneel before you and they ask you the hard questions and you begin to speak through your word and through your spirit of what you're calling them to, what you're calling them to release and to sacrifice and set aside because you are worth it or others are worth it or they would begin to see and understand their own inherent worth and value as image bearers. May each of us 
be willing to step boldly in faithfulness. May we embrace what you say, and may we not walk away sad, but may we walk away filled with joy, following you every step of the way. I love you. I pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.